The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to Hebrews chapter 4, I invite you to Hebrews chapter 4, and uh, today's title of our sermon, we've been going through this, we are in a new chapter, woo, I think we will finish Hebrews when some of you have grandchildren that are now children, and, and we'll get there, but we will be there, I, I looked before Brian prayed about where we'll be, I'll be preaching from now until Easter weekend, um, uh, just on a personal note, again, Pastor Nelson will be preaching over Easter weekend, I only say this to say, because many of you have asked, will you be here for Easter? We will not be. Um, the personnel team has allowed us to go to Boston um, over Easter weekend to to uh, go do something called a marathon, and there's some famous race up there, I guess. All that to say, uh, we'll be preaching from chapter four. We'll get mostly through, I believe. I think we're going to get through chapter five by Easter, so hang tight. We'll get there. So before I leave in a month, we're hoping to get through two chapters. Fair enough? That's almost halfway through the book, a fourth of the way through the year. That's not too bad for our pace, if you know us here at Tower View Baptist Church. That's actually like we're speeding in a 35 zone at 55, so we're getting there. If you're able to stand this morning in honor of God's word, would you join us in reading, uh, starting in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Before we read this, if you're visiting with us or if you're regular here, I want to remind you that these are tough words again. We're in a parenthesis of the book where he is, this writer of Hebrews, is, is, is sharing the message of the gospel about Christ with, with the people, reminding them, first, if you're in Christ, these are the promises you have, but if you're not, don't harden your heart. You're going to hear that theme. These are hard words. I don't, these are tough words, but I pray as you look at these, Christian, especially, that you remind yourself, this is not you. That was you, but by God's grace, you are not what you were, and this is what we have. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, I'll be reading out of the ESV Bible. He says, therefore, based on everything in chapter 3, while the promises of entering his rest stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, and you've heard this before, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verse 5, and again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 4, verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest, verse 10, has also rested from his works as God did from his. 
The point of this whole passage is to remind church members, to remind people who go around the people of God, to remind people who think they're in the in crowd, in good cahoots, if you will, with Jesus, to watch yourself. We are absolutely clear here at this church that if you truly have turned from your sin and trusted Jesus alone, that he will never let you go. We sing about that. We preach about that. We hold that dear. But don't be duped to think just because you go to church or you know someone who goes to church that they're in just because they're there. Just because you sit in a garage all day in your easy chair does not make you a car. It doesn't change it. And so there it is again. I don't want you to check out on me. I want these warning signs we're going to go through about the failure to enter rest to be a shock to your soul in a good way if you're a Christian because he has done this again for you. And this will apply to you. Some of you are hanging on by a thread here. Some of you widower widowers are hanging on by a thread. Some of you parents are hanging on by a thread. Say, how does this relate to me? May you look not at your situation. May you look higher to Christ seated in the heavens at the right hand of God. And that's our prayer this morning. Will you pray with me? And we'll get started. Father, thank you for Hebrews chapter 4. Thank you, Lord, that those who are in Christ have entered rest. Not completely in this world, for we still battle sin and temptation and trials and all the things we have sung about, Lord. But this day, we know that we truly are secure in you. That we are once saved, always persevering and continuing on as it was, as my dear brother who's in this congregation now would say, uh, that pilgrim going on a progress to the celestial city. Father, we know someday that you will call us home and the journey is fraught with all sorts of things along the way. Keep us on the straight and narrow, Lord, not to be holier than thou, but to please the one who is holy, holy, holy. We ask this today in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Why don't you be seated this morning? Well, Pastor Levi Lesko has told a story one time, and I've always saved this illustration. He told a story. He lives in in California. Many of you have been to, I'm just curious, how many of you have never been to the ocean or a gulf? or something else uh, like the coastal regions. Anyone ever not been to something like that? It's okay if you haven't. Wow, most of y'all have. Leo, you're the only one. We're going to change that today, brother. I don't know if we'll change it today, but we might get you there. Well, Pastor Levi Lesko lives in the California coast, and he was uh, tells a story one day about he was collecting shells with his daughter, his young daughter who's named Clover, C-L-O-V-E-R, and he was out uh, looking for nice shells that were in good condition. While Clover, being a small kid at the time, was just picking up shells that were broken, you know, any bits of pieces. And when her little hands couldn't hold any more shells, she turned to her dad and said, Daddy, I know you want perfect shells, but the broken ones are beautiful too. Think about that for a second. And, you know, I think God sees us the same way and things the same way. Hebrews includes, later on in chapter 11, a collection of great heroes of the faith, men and women whom God used and were blessed. But the truth is, they were broken, really, really broken. And if you've ever looked through that list, you know. And I find it interesting because they were not perfect examples. They were messed up folks. But the funny thing is, as we get through the book of Hebrews, it mentions only their victories and not their mistakes. And that is because God sees what we will become, not necessarily what we are, though he knows that well. Jesus knew what was in man, and that's what caused him to do many of the things he did. I mean, think about this list for a second. Abraham, the father of the faith and of the Jewish people, lied about his wife twice in front of rulers. That really put her in a bad situation. His son Isaac did the same thing. Uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, laughed at the promise of God and then denied that she was laughing in the presence of God. Jacob lied and connived. Noah got drunk. 
Samson was immoral. That's a light statement, isn't it? Gideon was fearful. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair and then had someone murdered to cover it up. Elijah was deeply depressed and didn't want to live after having one of the greatest victories, spiritually speaking, that was ever recorded in the whole Bible itself outside of perhaps the resurrection of Christ. Jonah ran from God and then sat up on a hill and complained when God pulled the shade tree away and it got hot and said, God, why'd you save those people? He got mad at God for doing the very thing he just preached about. The disciples fell asleep and it wasn't daylight savings time either when they should have been praying. Peter said, Lord, I'll go with you to death. And, and just a day later, what did he do? He denied Christ. One, two, oh, not two times, three times. And then there was Moses who killed a guy. This is your hall of faith. Yet all of them trusted that God, despite their sin, was able to save them. They believed that God was faithful and true and that they too would be with him so long as they would follow him by faith and faith alone. That's why Isaiah 55, 7, and Amy will put this up, says, let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. But I think we forgot one. The Israelites wandered in the desert. I mean, but what is the difference between those people that we mentioned from Abraham down to Moses, and there's many more in between, and, and those in the desert? The difference is this. The Israelites kept doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, and they had no remorse, no conscience was seared, or no, or no conscience was, was uh, a touch. Their heart was hard. They wanted nothing to do with God, and they kept going through the same cycle of sin over and over and over and over again, and they did not change. Yet all these other people, when mentioned about sin in their lives, sought God's mercy and his grace. Friends, there is a place where you can be around the people of God, the things of God, and the truth of God, and still not be known by God. It's a scary place to be. Does God use imperfect people? Yes, he does. We put up new signs out there that this church, hopefully, is the perfect place for imperfect people. Because Spurgeon said, if you go to a church and looking for a perfect church, you just spoiled that perfect church because you yourself are imperfect. You didn't know that, did you? Well, congratulations, you just found out. Look, we all fail in life. We all have lapses. We all get tempted. We all face trials. We're not alone in those struggles. But I want you to know the truth is that God loves broken people. But the difference between the people of God and those who think they're the people of God is that the people of God, despite all their sin, know that God alone can save them, while the people outside of God think they can do it all by themselves with a little touch of being around God's people. The big idea today is simply this, and I changed it, Brian, actually, from what you read, and this is where it's at is that no matter how deep your sin, weakness, and failure is, God's amazing, forgiving, and transforming grace is greater still. And you need to be reminded of that this morning. And so I want you to know as we enter these things, there are going to be five warning signs, five warning signs of someone who's failed to enter God's rest. You would call these people non-Christians. You'd call them unsaved, unregenerate, whatever word you throw at it. These are people who know about God, who may be around the people of God, but have never truly known God himself. Christian, again, I want to remind you that no one is so lost that they can't come to Christ. God can turn a sinner on a dime. But I also want you to know 
that it's not just enough for us to say these things. This is going to remind you to share the gospel, Christian. This is going to remind you to love people who are not like us. This is going to remind you about where you were outside of Jesus Christ. Pastor, we talk about this a lot. We do, because the Bible talks about it a lot. But five warning signs today. I had a little fun with my alliteration, so pardon it if you will. But I want you to see these things as they come through. The first warning sign I want you to see this morning is this, is that people who are, out, who are around the people of God but fail to enter his rest, his salvation, foolishly ignore the facts. They foolishly ignore the facts. Look at verse 1. He says there, therefore, let us fear. He says, therefore, let us fear, lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. Failed to reach what? The rest of God. Therefore, let us fear. This, therefore, goes back and harkens back to chapter 3, where he told us that they have not come to Christ. Remember, the rest here in the Old Testament is speaking of the promised land, while the rest in the New Testament speaks of salvation. And he says, fear. What are you fearing? Well, are you fearing that you won't get something in this life? No. The fear mentioned here is a final judgment. And as Christians, we may disagree on many fine truths about how we should run a country or what we should do in the church, but we all agree on this one thing. We're all going to die. Hold your spot there for just a second. Would you go to Hebrews chapter 9? Many of you know this. Hold your spot in Hebrews chapter 4. Flip a couple pages, if you will. Uh, or if you have one of those big print Bibles, it may be like 5 or 10, but you'll get there. Or if you have a really small print Bible, don't flip a page. It's probably already there. You get the point. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. You know this well, but you need to see it again in print. It is word of God. It says, what are we fearing? He says in 927, and just as it's appointed for man or woman to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So often we think when we die, we become like a Hollywood movie where we just float around like an angel on a cloud somewhere and we just end up doing whatever we do. But the Bible is very clear. We die, we go to judgment. If you're a Christian, that is a judgment of how you've lived for Christ. You're not gonna be dismissed out of heaven but you will be judged based on how faithful you were to what he's given you and the talents he's assigned you. If you're not a Christian, what do you have to fear? You have to fear that judgment is coming. Now, we sound like one of those guys that stands out on the street corner that says the sign, you know, the end is near. You ever seen those guys before? And you're like, oh, man, we know that's true, but why, why do you do that? Well, you know, we may disagree with his methods, but the, 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 the truth is the truth about it, right? The end is coming. When is it coming? I don't know. Jesus says we know not the day or the hour, but he reminds us that we will stand before God and God will determine your eternal destiny based on what you did with his son here. And we should be terrified if we're not a Christian. We should be panicked. And the false prophets who say, peace, peace, where a true prophet says, let us fear. Go to chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. And I want to show you these. These are coming probably around the end of the year uh, as we get through the harder sections of the middle of Hebrews. Chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. The writer reminds us, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. These people of uh, the writer of the Hebrews time reminds us that someday... God will open the book and reveal all of our words, our thoughts, our deeds, our intentions, and he will say to us, you either knew my son or you did not know my son, and your name is either written in the book or it's not. 
Now, we don't preach that way often. Brother Leo and I were talking about this just as we could on Saturday on Messenger about why most churches don't talk about this stuff anymore. I mean, true story. How many of you, we have preached on it here, but outside of Tower View Baptist in the last three or four years, how many of you have ever heard a sermon just on H-E double hockey sticks, on hell itself? Just on hell. Not a side note of subpoint, like a straight up sermon on that. One, two, three, four hands, maybe? That's crazy. How many of y'all, when you were growing up, you older generation, you, you remember the, the hellfire and brimstone preachers? You remember that? Some of y'all have good memories of being a child and being scared up at night. And there's some truth there. You should be. Because he tells us in Hebrews 10, and he goes on in verse 29, he says that we've trampled underfoot the very Son of God and, regard, and we're regarded as unclean. Look, if we're not in Jesus Christ, we have every reason to fear. We are foolishly ignoring the facts. What are the facts? That we're dying once. There's no second chance, purgatory, karma, whatever afterlife things out there, that we go before a holy God in judgment. That's a warning sign. And you say, well, Darren, how could any God do that to any sinner? How could he, 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 he judge a sinner? Well, Hebrews 10.30 tells us that it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. The better question is not how could God do that to any sinner. The better question is how could any sinner do that to God himself? How could they reject him? How could they spite the son who died? Look, if you say no to Christ, I say to you, and I mean this with all sincerity, that hell is not hot enough for you. If you say no to Christ when he brings you his very son, then you are a fool. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, you're listening online, if you know someone in your life, we are not better than anyone. We stand equal as sinners before a holy God. But if we know not Christ, it's better to hear the truth. It's better never to have heard the truth rather than to go to hell hearing the truth and rejecting it all the way down. That's why he says, go back to chapter 4. That's why he says here, while a promise remains. Christian, if you're here today, the word has been given to you. And he says, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, until you breathe your last or Christ returns, there's still a chance for you to come to know Jesus. Christian, can we take a time out for just a second? I want to remind you that your job in this world is to make much of Jesus Christ. Who is one person in your life, one person in your life that you could pray for, focus on, to share the gospel with this year? One person, coworker, family member, spouse, kid, grandson, granddaughter, whatever, neighbor, who is it? Look, we don't bring people to Christ so that they can pay and give to the offering plate so we can keep the bills going. We bring people to Jesus Christ because there is a judgment coming, and they are foolishly ignoring the facts. There's still a rest that remains. And this is the application point. Amy will put this up. But if you're here today, I want to remind you that Jesus was born to measure up in all of those places where we fall short. And we have fallen greatly short, haven't we? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who among us have come short of the way to Christ? Some have come short. Some have it in their heads, the facts, but they have no faith in the gospel in their heart. Some recognize Christ as Savior, but are not ready for Christ. Some go through the motions as they attach that they're saved. Some walk an aisle, sign a card that says, I'm a Christian. Some get baptized. Some raise a hand. 
and say, I, I know Jesus. Some shake the pastor's hand and say, well, I touched the pastor. I must be going to heaven. Whoa, that's scary. We must come all the way to Christ if we're able to be saved. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or if you're a Christian, don't forget that one day you foolishly ignored the facts. The fact is Jesus died, he loves you, and he wants you to come to him. But the promise of rest is now until he returns. That's warning sign one, is that they foolishly ignore the facts. Warning sign number two is this, is that they flippantly, you know what that word means, don't you? Kind of blow it off. They flippantly ingest, get that word? They flippantly, it goes down them, forgeries. Look at verse two, first part of verse two. He says, for good news came to us just as to them. Stop right there. For good news came to us just as to them. Notice the distinction he's making here. He's saying that if you're a Christian, the good news has come to you, and you are securing your future in that. But the good news also came to them. And friends, I want to remind you someday that those sinners that will be judged in hell because God is a righteous judge are those that followed false religions. Buddha, Hindu, Joseph Smith, Mary Eddie Baker, fill the list. That who he will judge someday are those who have flippantly said, I don't need the Jesus of the Bible. I can go this way or that way or do it my way, however I want to do it. And I want to remind you this morning that that is not what the Scripture says. The same gospel that came to those addressed in this letter also came to those who saw all the miracles in the Old Testament and they still did not believe it. They wanted something else. They didn't want what Jesus offered. They wanted whatever they could come up with their own minds. Give me what I want. Don't give me this Jesus. That's why most people don't come to Jesus because they want to do it on their own terms. But the Bible says you better settle out of court. The Bible says that you have been summoned to stand before him, and there is nothing you can do to get out of that judgment day court. But how were the Old Testament people saved? How were they saved? They were saved the same way you were, by faith in Jesus alone. They didn't get it all. They didn't see all the pictures you do. But they believed that Jesus would be, as the Scripture said, virgin-born, that he'd be sinless, that he set his face towards a cross or, or, or towards death, that he died in your place, that he had his, our sins laid on him, that he took the wrath, the judgment of God, that he was the substitute. Jesus pushed us out of the way while the bus is coming, so to speak, and he stood there and took the death that we should have died, that he gave his life and the shedding of his blood, that he was buried, and on that third day, he symbolically rose from the dead. Are you awake? Guys, it wasn't symbolic. It was literal. He literally came back from the dead. You know, I pity Christians on social media because you know what they all do on Easter Sunday? He's risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. But if they were to put that out during the rest of the year, most of them don't even care. because Well, they do care. But we get so wound up with Easter and all these holidays. Don't forget Jesus is the same resurrected Savior on Tuesday in the middle of May as he is on whatever Easter Sunday comes. Don't let the American calendar dictate your faith. Let your faith dictate how you live out the American calendar or whatever we call that calendar these days. The message was shared time and time again, but they did not believe it. They flippantly threw it away to go after what they wanted. And Christian, this is why you need to remember today, and Amy will put this up, that we are not responsible for how people respond to the gospel, but we are responsible that they hear 
and understand it. You need to be clear about what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. Church, it's not just enough that a church claims they believe in Jesus, that a church says they believe the same things you do. You have to be very, very careful. If you're here and you've heard the full disclosure of the gospel at this church, you're responsible before God for it. The gospel has been once and for all delivered for the saints, and each generation is responsible for handing it down to the next. Our job as pastors is very simple. Stick to the instruction manual, don't do anything stupid, and die and preach the gospel and just go away. That's pretty much all we got to do. I don't know why we complicate that, but we do. Christian, your job description is the same. Love people, love God, share the gospel, and go be with him forever in glory. That's what it's all about. Don't complicate the waters. But so often, as they did, they flippantly digested things that were forgeries because they did not want to do what God said to do. Some of y'all did that when your mom and dad told you to take out the trash. You got creative and started cleaning your room instead. It didn't change the fact, did it? That when mom came and said, did you take out the trash, you were still responsible for taking out the trash. Hey, so glad you, you cleaned your room, but what did I ask you to do to take out the trash? And friends, Jesus says, I don't care what you do over here for me. I care that you love me first and foremost with your heart. That's what I desire, not sacrifice, but the desire that you would follow me. Third warning sign is this, is that they faithlessly imported filth. They faithlessly imported filth. Look at the end of verse 2, and then we'll get into some longer sections here. You notice that word but? Does your Bible have but there in the middle of verse 2? It says, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. One of the warning signs here is that despite the good news that was preached to these people wandering in the desert, there, there was no lasting eternal value for them. They were not united by faith. They, they heard what was said, but they did not grasp what was said. Have you ever been around a person somewhere who you have shared so clearly what the gospel message is, and they just are like, great, that's, that's wonderful. Kudos for you. That's great. And you and yourself are just going nuts because you know they are under the wrath of God. You know they need to come to Christ. And it's just like you handed them a glass of water, and they just said thank you, just like that. Friends, that must have been what it was like for Moses, how frustrating that must have been to be their leader for 40 years, to share the very miracles of God, and yet they wanted nothing to do with it. That's why Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. Who are those that hear? It's those who God has called out. So why do people not believe? This is not in your notes. I want to give you a list. This could be very long, but I want to just talk about why don't people believe? Here's what the scripture says, some different things. Number one is pride. And this isn't on the screen. Pride. They don't want to submit their lives to God. They won't give control of their lives to God. And they won't bow the knee to God. It's pride. And you know who that started with? Started with Satan, didn't it? I won't worship God. I'm going to be my own God. I want to do my own thing. As if we could do better than God. The devil has blinded them to the very sin that cost him his high position in God's army. Another thing they do is the pleasures of this world. People love their sin, don't they? Christian, even if you're in Christ, you still in some moments love your sin. I love my sin. 
And I said last week that every kick that sin gives you has a what? Has a kickback, doesn't it? People will not come to Christ because they don't want to give up their sinful lifestyle, but the wages of sin is death. And that's what you know. There's also persecution. There's a thought, if I give my life to Jesus, what's my family going to think? If I give my life to Jesus, what is going to happen to me, my reputation? But the question is, would you rather be popular in earth or would you rather be known in heaven? It's really what it comes down to. Another reason people don't, they faithlessly import filth and false belief in their lives is they think all is okay. Well, where's his promise coming? Where's the judgment? Nothing's happened to me for my sin. I'm okay. I've lived my whole life and God hasn't done anything. They're self-deceived. Probably the most, the biggest win of all these is procrastination. They always say, ah, I know it's true, but I need to fill in the blank. When I get older and have kids and get my job, get my three and a half car garage and my big house, I'm going to be ready for Jesus. But what has the Bible said repeatedly? Today is the day of salvation. But I think one of the bigger things in America, why people don't come to Jesus, is they sit under a false gospel. So many people are told lies that, that, that are around, that, that, that the water of baptism can wash away your sin, that praying a prayer and parodying back that a pastor leads you in can save you if you truly don't have faith, just saying some special magical words, that their good works can outweigh their bad. Some will say this is how it measures up. And I want to remind you this morning, friends, that the false gospels are all around us. I shared with Natalie the other day, because we, we have a family member who's basically in a cult, but not really in a cult, and I use that word very specifically in a town called Moscow, Idaho. You can read all about it. How do we reach our, our family member? We love them dearly, but literally they sold everything and moved into a duplex, and that's fine. You can do that with your life to come under one man who's kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, they'll never tell you that, but this happens in Grandview, Missouri all the time, doesn't it? International House of Prayer. Sounds so good. It's not pancakes. That's the good stuff, the syrup and the butter and cinnamon and all that. People will sell out all sorts of things. But do you know that when it comes to false gospels, that the Mormon church, which is the biggest moneymaker west of the Mississippi, has a budget of tens, hundreds of millions of dollars even to share the message about Joseph Smith and Mormons, and all these things. They put on a smiley face. They all look the same. They try to correct through images things they believe. Do you know that Mormons still hold this day that African Americans are not worthy to be of the same level as people of white skin or whatever other skin? It's crazy. But they'll spin it online to make it seem like it's all hunky-dory, and it's not. Be careful what you ingest. Be careful what filth you import into your life. It could be a false gospel. So Christian, you know this, but non-Christian, if you're here today, and Amy will put this up, Jesus cannot be simply liked. Jesus, you either re you reject him utterly or you crown him as king of your life. That's what it is. You know him. You can't just like him on Facebook or give him a, a kudos on uh, social media or whatever else is out there. You have to come to him. And he is king of kings and lord of lords. And you, Christian, you, you submitted yourself to that. But so many around you are faithlessly going through their lives thinking they know the truth, but they really don't know it and they don't believe it. 
Would you pray for them more earnestly? Would you desire to share the gospel with them more directly? Not so we can have more knots in our belt, but so that they would come to Christ. That's what it's about. They would be restored. So you either, you reject him or you crown him as king of your life. But only those who know Jesus are not faithlessly importing filth in their lives. That's number three. Number four or five, here it is. The fourth warning sign is this, and we'll pick up some more verses here. He says that the warning sign number four is that they fleetingly, they kind of in a passing moment, imagine they have freedom. That these people who think they are in Christ and God fleetingly imagine freedom. Look at verses three to five. Let's read these again in chapter four. He says in verse three, for we have believed, we who have believed enter that rest, that if we really are, we're in Christ. As he has swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he himself spoke somewhere on the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. When you believe that you are okay with God, even though you're not, you think you are the most free person ever. I mean, can you imagine being a first century Jew and being told that you don't have to keep all the laws, 613 laws of the Old Testament, that you're saved now by grace? How just, in a sense, demoralizing that is? Well, what was all that about? You know, you hear this from missionaries all the time, especially those in the Muslim world who when someone comes to Christ, all the weight of keeping all the laws of, uh, of the Islamic faith are now just, it's just like their whole world has changed. Why did I not know this before? And when you became a Christian, the weight of trying to please people and, and keep up the appearances in church and show that you're a Christian because you go to church, but you weren't really a Christian because you never believed in Christ, fall away and you're free. Now, I'm not going to get in the mass debate, but I want you to know this. The church should be a place where we do not worry about masks. I'm not talking physically. There's a time and a place for that, and we've walked through that as a church the last couple of years. This is why in our churches, we should be the most mask-free, transparent relationships that ever have existed around. I have nothing more to impress you with. You have nothing more that's going to surprise me. Because guess what? My sin is just as bad or worse than yours, and I have a God that forgives me of every bit of it. That's why this church and the culture of this church, the more we're willing to let down our guard, to let God give us that rest, we will be ready to be, as it were, transparent with one another. But they imagine they have their freedom. These people who think they're in God that's why he says in verse 3 that we've believed, we have by grace received that call. But the bottom line is, as he quotes Psalm 95, verse 11, and verse 3, that they are they're those who do not believe in this rest. God's works are finished. He has is, he is said in Christ in John 19, 30, that it is finished. There's nothing more we can do to be saved. It is Christ alone. And it says in verse 4 that somewhere he said that he worked for six days and rested on the seventh. God is done creating. It's all done. But unless you come to him, you think and imagine that you have freedom that you do not have outside of Jesus Christ. I mean, friends, think about this. When you look around this world and you turn on the TV, I know Hollywood's not a big thing anymore. I'm so grateful that COVID kind of took away some of this just like superstar power that people had. 
you know, in, in 30 years ago, if, if Tom Cruise said something, like every news station would quote him verbatim on the uh, breaking news, Tom Cruise said this, you know, I'm kind of glad in some sense COVID leveled that playing field because superstars aren't really superstars. No one cares. At least that's what I'm seeing in my, from my chair at times. But I want to remind you that as we come to this time, there are people who are walking around this world who seem to have it all together, who have the perfect life. Their kids smile the biggest in every social media photo. Their bank accounts are good. Their, their grass is greener than yours. Yours has all the dandelions and weeds, which you call flowers to make yourself feel better. But really, it's just a mess. And they seem to have it all together. But down inside, as God sees them, they think they're free, but they're really not. They fleetingly imagine that they have the rest spoken of in verses 3 to 5. And that's why he says in verse 5, they shall not enter my rest. Those who will not cease from their labor of striving to come to the place to say with the old song singer, and you know these old words from the old hymn, he said, in my hands no price I bring, simply to the cross I cling. These people have not entered God's rest because they think themselves free when they're really not. They are shackled to sin, Satan, and the things of this world. God has brought you, as Amy will put up on the screen, here today to hear this message. There's an exit ramp for you today if you do not know Jesus Christ. I have no one in mind in particular. We're just preaching through the Bible. If you're here today and you've been a church member for years and you really don't know Jesus, maybe this is your day. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you're online. I don't know, but take it while you can. Perhaps God brought you into this mess so that he could bring you out of it for your, his glory and your salvation. But it is not an accident that we are going through these verses. Someone in this room whether it's you as a Christian or minded of where you come from or someone who has not come to Christ needs to hear about this today. But you are not free unless you believe in Jesus because he said, what did he say? The truth shall set you free. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. Last thing is this, and we'll close with this. Warning sign number five. These people who think they're in God that are not, they fruitlessly interpret faith. They fruitlessly interpret faith. Look at verse 6, and we'll read down to verse 10. He says in verse 6, he says, for since therefore it remains for some to enter at rest, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Friends, they thought because they were attached to Moses, they were going to be saved. How many people on a Baptist church roll across the Southern Baptist Convention think they're going to heaven because one day they signed a card to become a member, but they haven't been in church for years. They live like the Satan and the devil, and they think they're saved because someone told them one time, you're saved, yet they're not doing anything that God has asked them to do. How many, you tell me? Countless. That's why here, as best we can, we try to shepherd you sometimes to the best of our ability. And guess what? There, we have stubborn sheep in our church. You have stubborn pastors in your church. Amen? But I want you to know we love you and we want this church to be meaningful in its membership because God takes meaningful relationships in his church to be a serious thing. 
This is why, as we've said before, one of the saddest things we have had to do at this church is to dismiss out six to 800 members over the last five years who, after years of trying to reach them, or if we did, if I could show you the things that were written back to us when we asked them whether they wanted to be in this church or be a part of any church, hey, if it's not with us, can we help you? Can we point you to another church of like faith that teaches the word of God and tries to do all that is said here, not perfectly? Man, if we could put those up on a screen and send all the kids out, some of you adults would have your jaw to the floor about these Christians, about what they said. Just because someone has come to be a member of a church does not make them any more saved than a Muslim who thinks they believe that Jesus is the prophet will get them to heaven with 72 virgins. Be careful. And I say that to my own soul as well. Because we can be professional in our faith and forget the very foundations of our faith. Christian, there remains a rest to enter. Some have not yet come all the way to Christ. Why? Because he said they disobeyed the gospel, verse 6. Verse 7, he reissues the gospel appeal. Notice what he says there. He says in verse 7, again, he appoints a certain day that he calls today. What's he saying? He says, look, you obey, you obey and embrace Christ or you will get up and walk out and walk on the precious blood of Christ. That's why he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. In verse 8, for Joshua had given them rest. Look, if Joshua, in, in taking over the promised land, could have given this rest, the salvation in Christ, then the whole Bible would have changed. But it didn't work that way. Joshua was looking to Christ who would bring rest to their souls. And then in verse 9, he says, there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. What is that Sabbath rest? The Sabbath rest is now that if you're in Christ, you are free from striving to save yourself to get to Christ. He saved you. You have rest now because of Christ. And that's what he's hammering home. But how does a Jewish person get saved today? You ever thought about that before? How do they get saved in Israel over there? Guess what? It isn't complicated. The same way you got saved is the same way they get saved, by faith alone, in Jesus alone, by grace alone, all in Christ alone. Amen? How does a Wiccan get saved, a, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, an atheist, an agnostic, a, 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 nothing as, a, a nothing as some of these, or nuns as some of them are called, not N-U-N like a woman Catholic lady, but N-O-N-E, like I don't believe anything, it's a new, whatever, it's a new belief system. What he says in verse 10 as we close he says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What are you resting from? You're resting trying to impress God. You're resting trying to say, hey, God, look at me. I'm a pretty good person. I've got this figured out. Hey, God, have you seen my resume? I get to go to heaven because look at what I did. 1,500 people in the summer of 2006, I asked this question, are you a good person going to heaven, walking around on the plaza? Less than five of them said, no, I'm not a good person. About 1,490-ish people said, I am good enough to get to heaven because I do enough good things to get there. And these people self-identified as evangelicals, as Catholics, as Buddhists, you name it. They did all those things. But only those who've entered his rest can simply say, I don't need to please God to save myself. I just simply want to be obedient to what he's done for me because he's given me his all. That's what this is really all about.
I want to remind you one more time as we close that everyone in your life will fail you except Jesus himself. And Amy will put that up. Everyone but Jesus will fail you. So Christian today, if you're trusting in, in, in your pastors here to save you, to block God's wrath for you, to be something that we're not called to do, be careful. Don't idolize us. Take your eyes off us and go to Christ. There's a place of trusting your leadership, I know. Look to Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, I can't save you. A priest can't save you. A shaman can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. Membership can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. So as we close, I just want to tell you that we love you all so much here. And you've heard three hard weeks of preaching, haven't you? It has been three hard weeks. I feel it. You feel it. Next week, we get to talk about our great high priest, Jesus. You know, they tell you as a pastor that you're not supposed to break the silence when there's a death or a hospital room. Just let the silence be the silence. And that's a good, that's a good rule of thumb. But next week, we want to take our eyes off our problems, take the, our eyes off the world, and we want to go a little bit higher to see Jesus, as it says, was tempted as we are yet without sin, and we have confidence to draw near to him because of all he's done for us. We are, half, we are a fourth of the way through the book of Hebrews. And all God's people said, amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, as we close today, these are hard words. They're truth, Lord, but they're hard words. Father, we know that for whatever reason, as we go through your words, as we pick a book, we just go as it is, line by line, word by word, as we can. And these last three weeks, as we've been in this parenthesis, this evangelistic appeal to those who are in the household of God to remind ourselves of what we've been saved from and to call those who have not yet come to Christ to come to Christ. Lord, we have found that you're a merciful, compassionate God, that you've reminded us despite our disobedience, there remains a rest, that we can still enter the rest, which is Christ. Father, thank you that door has not been shut. Thank you that we don't have to have a secret handshake or a secret password. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fill in the blank, do anything. We lay our faith solely on Jesus Christ, and we will die with that till the day we go home. Father, as we sing this last song, yet not I, but Christ in me, may you lift our eyes beyond our sin, beyond our circumstances, beyond whatever we're feeling, the turmoil inside of us, whatever's going on in our lives, our, our bellies growling for lunch or whatever it is, the beautiful day outside, as great as all those things are in their place, as we close, may our eyes lift up and be ever so reminded of what your son has done for us. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this today in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. And I...